This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Hi, I'm Andy Bradshaw, and in this podcast series, I'll be having conversations about supporting coaches to deliver great coaching. Today on the Coach Developer Conversations podcast, we welcome Russ Smith. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks, Russ. Can you just give a little bit of background about where and who you work for and your journey into the the roles that you find yourself now? Yeah. So currently, I have a full-time role with Street Dance, so predominantly Sporting England funded for helping young people, 16 to 25-year-olds, into coaching from areas of deprivation. So predominantly, I focus a lot of my time in the black country and Birmingham on that. And that could be coaching in any type of sport or theme of reduction from crime or health inequalities, a variance of things to get more people active, but having a workforce to be able to do that. Hand in hand with that, my passion of where I live, I do quite a lot of work for the FA remits, but I kind of head up football development and coaching for what's called the Stellbridge District Youth League at 600 teams in the borough of Dudley and Sandwell. So I take a lead to, to, you know, coach educate, coach develop, mentor, but then I also have a team of, we call them legacy mentors, who helps me to achieve that as well. So that's me as of today, and my pathway to get there isn't linear. When I first started coaching, coaching football, I used to be a decorator as well with my dad, and I did that really to make ends meet. So coaching was obviously evenings and weekends. Decorating was just helping me dad out. Probably learned a lot from that through customer service, through meeting deadlines, being organised, and front-facing approach. So that was good. And from many coaching jobs, I kind of got my first full-time role in what was used to be called the school sports coordinators. And I did that in Wensbrook in Sandwell. And that was kind of organising sport coaching and junior leadership pathways for young people. I'm still coaching more with football then and got a few clubs involved. So I was starting to do some work with Restaurant Galbian and I got a full-time role there the next. And my role was kind of half and half, half in community through regeneration and identifying people from uh, different backgrounds who could become a coach and help out grow young people into football. But I also helped out in the club's academy as well under the time of uh, Dan Ashworth helping out in you know, multiple age groups at the academy there. I did that role from about 2009, 10, and I was offered a job role at a secondary school called George Salter, and I was head of community and sport. And in that time, you know, I've stuck about young people taking the lead, and we've got really, to this day, legacy from a, a thriving netball club. There wasn't that when I went there, and we developed young and female coaches to take the lead. Some of the staff members from that now work for mainstream organisations, whether it be West Midlands Netball, street games as well, uh, other national governing bodies, and that really helped. And I did that for about four or five years and then just missed a lot of the frontline work I was doing. So an opportunity came up with street games to still coach and develop people as well as um, keeping my football work as well. So I've worked for street games since 2014. The bit that I was focused in on there was the opportunity to coach and develop people. Dave Levine, who featured on the previous podcast, talked about developing people. Would you say that is the, almost the defining passion of your work? 
I think so. I, I, you know, do I have more clarity to what I said there in my role as George Sulter because lots of stuff was happening, whether it be facilities, clubs, programmes, I became more of a manager. And what I mean by a manager was I was more of an organiser of spreadsheets than I was of a developing people, frontline, helping with their practice, with the people facing stuff is what I enjoy. And I suppose for me, I really love that. Let's get an end goal or work with someone to help them with what they want to achieve. And I was doing less of that in the job role I had. So going back to a front-facing, very much community-led role really tick the boxes for me because it's that day-to-day stuff where you're going to see change, empowerment and impact, which ultimately, when well, I suppose when you're the manager, other people are doing that for you. And I suppose going back to what I was good at, back to basics, was an easy win for me, really. So you mentioned the work that you do in football and the work that you do in street games from a coach development perspective what would you see as the main differences between those two environments and the skills that you have to focus on to make things work from the outset i suppose the the easiest way i could make it clear would be most of the people i work with in the football world would be a parent or have some sort of sibling involved in the street games world, most of the people are either a project participant who's taken the lead to step forward as a volunteer or getting their first kind of steps into coaching to a project leader who's embedded in the community. In other words, someone who, well, I call them lifers, they're going to be there until the box comes and they give everything where they live because it makes a difference for kids. So the main difference from the outset would be volunteering in a club capacity role of what most my football work might be. There is some under elements for that too. We do have youth council and young people who take the lead. But with the street games work, it is predominantly people from the local area where they are from who are either A, at the start of their coaching journey, or B, looking for life after. They might have gained a qualification or experience and they want to do more, whether it be as a project lead or whether it be in sport development, coaching, developing others, building their legacy from their work frontline. I imagine it might be a similar approach in both cases, but what are the sort of the skills that you would employ to connect with those individuals, to understand what they need? Can you just almost give us a practical feel for how you do your work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, something really hit me back in the early 2010s was there was a, a quote with a friend of mine, Justin Price, kind of shared with me. If you show that you care, people will care what you know. And effectively, my approach is I just get to know you first. So build rapport, connection. I suppose I can make a really big difference in the Midlands and the Black Country because I have a lot of shared outcomes and similarities. So those approaches of knowing them before I can help them works for me. So an example being, I can't just go in there and go, yeah, maybe think about this in your coaching. I don't really know why they coach yet. So getting to know their purpose is something that I suppose I model my practice on. And over the last three or four years, I've found a little bit of academia to back that up. There's a model called purpose-based mentoring, which is from Cooper and Wielder, and it's used in nursing. But for me, that's kind of what I would say is my approach now. Find out who they are, then find out what it's for, 
then enable the skills for self-development and some help from me along the way. The who element of the work across all the context is is absolutely understanding the person in front of you. I mean, that is is something from a, a UK coaching point of view that we're exploring in terms of developing the person in front of you as a workshop and as, as resources. Is there anything that you would do? Uh, sometimes it's quite easy to say, you know, get to know the person in front of you. Apart from having conversations and listening well and asking asking good questions... What else do you do to really find out about that person in front of you? This one's not a quick fix, but I've kind of worked in the area of the black country and in and around for 20 years. So a lot of the where they're from and who they are, I probably know already through a range of, I've worked with them maybe when they were participants. I understand where they live or the project or the football club of which they're involved in. So that really helps because that shared identity allows finding out the what. And how I would do that apart from the ask the normal question, why are you coaching? The informal is everything really, I find. And the informal, whether it be they see you as the same or they have credibility within you because actually they might have seen you coach or you've coached at their session or they've come across you through word of mouth allows that to happen a lot quicker. But I suppose I'll give you a good analogy here to help this. So in my football life, in the Sturbridge District Youth League, there's 18 other people that give their time to help me help coaches. Now, they don't get paid for this. They just get some recognition, some help and support from me. So that only happened through me knowing their club or going to their club or their club coming through some of the bits that we've done and me remembering them. So that we didn't put their name forward straight away. It could be a mix of digital, could be conversational, could be the fact that we're in the same place, we had a cup of tea. A mix of these ways of getting to know someone has enabled them the next step of maybe some formal learning to happen or some recognised CPD or practice. And I think it's that background that it's not a quick fix very longitudinal that this stuff happens over and the football work's been embedded for about four and a half years as part of the Stavis District League so the other areas ask me how have you achieved that and I've gone well I didn't do it in a month it's taken a long time my children are also in this league so I'm going to see people here there and people see me as Russ the dad not Russ the coach developer I don't often wear the badge for informal things because I think that's an off-putter when I'm trying to make connection. And I think the longitudinal approach or having an area or a consistency will really help to get into know who and what. A couple of words that stood out for me there were identity and credibility. So from a work example, we have coach developers working in sports that they're not from. And we've been asking the question and continue to ask the question around not what's right, but what's most effective and what changes when you're not from the sport. Do you have a sense from that more grassroots, local-based support that having established credibility and identity enables you to move quicker, faster? In my street games world, yeah. So part of the job role I said at George Salter, we were very much frontline at the start. In my role with West Bromwich Albion, it was about regeneration, and people in the street games world of lower socioeconomic output areas 
kind of know that because they're projects who've come across my project before or have come across some of the legacy of that. And that really helps them to go, really, you did that project? I go, yeah, all right. <laughs> that then helps because I suppose a lot of the younger coaches I come across are very much sceptical of a, who's this person and why are they here? Because they don't live in Birmingham. And that's a long time to break down. Whereas if someone who's like them from where they are from and can understand and maybe speak like them, it makes it so much easier. Because I don't think I could do what I do in Leeds or in London or in Nottingham. But I can do it in Birmingham and Black Country because of those pathways that's passed before or knowing the connections. And I think that's sometimes a bit of a challenge in the national governing body world of the football work. Because I don't think I could recreate what we do in the Sturbridge District League in Wolverhampton because it's different. I live in Dudley, those connections are there. And, you know, I suppose it joins up the dots. And that's what I find the credibility of not just parachuted provision or someone's going to come in one day and help me with my coaching, but then I'll answer my phone call next week. I might see that person in Tesco or on the school run. And I think that's the stuff that the credibility of, you know what, they're there for us, they're with me. And I think that helps my work massively. Some of my reading around your work, very much around that personal support, that seems yeah. to come through. It, it's support, but there is a much more personal and a local side to it than there possibly is in some different contexts. But context is still crucial. You understanding the context and you having a real lived experience of it is crucial for you? Yeah. That is the kite mark of good practice in the street games world because of lived experience and especially some of my colleagues, you know, they're quite new to this. So for them, they're just finding their feet in it in this type of approach and work. But I suppose I share practice of just to share what you've done in your pathway. That will then help you. That will then build connection, trust and rapport to be able to help more coaches more often for the purpose that they want. When you go in all shiny and badged up, sometimes it's a problem because they see you as only here for three hours and then they go. And that sometimes is the, a, a downfall in some of the formal type of learning approaches that uh, you know, coaches come across. You just mentioned it again. I was going to draw you back to that point around the badge putting people off. And I wonder if you have any other simple tips thinking about first impressions and perceptions of people is there anything else yeah. that you've learned along the way that that helps you break down some of those barriers well i'll, I'll tell you a little story it's from the football world so the Sturbridge district youth league 600 teams but has 21 people in the committee so to develop a program to help new coaches as a focus point wasn't easy because the first time i went in with the badge i got battered why are you here because other words they basically were going FA normally gives us a fine or normally tell us problems or normally tell us we're not doing something right. For the second visit, I kind of went in as Russ Smith, the dad of Ted and Scarlett, and they're in your league, and I didn't wear a badge. And it was so different because they were, oh, he's from Dudley. Oh, he's not going anywhere. He's in the community. Oh, he's part of our clubs and teams. And I think I learned hard and fast there with the street games bit on. 
sometimes I, I don't think people are bothered if the street games or not. They just want to know that you're there for them. And that's why a lot of the stuff of following up, answering a call, making sure that their first time they meet you isn't formal. Hello, I'm Russ from Street Games. I'm the senior tutor developer. Doesn't go down well. I'm just Russ. How are we doing? What's going on? Tell me about your project. Can I watch for a bit? Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll come next Friday and just help out and I'll work. And one project I help a lot in Smedic called Benson Community, I've been doing that a lot. And these guys get 600 kids a week for free and no one gets paid. And they're all volunteer coaches, but I've had to build my credibility and relevance by helping out. When there's no one on the door signing in, I'll be back here. Or, oh, so-and-so needs to take the kid to get his... Uh, Medication, can you take over? Of course I can. And then you know the coaches because you know where they work, you know their environment, you know their constraints. So you can actually diagnose and help them out with a better coach development process rather than off-the-shelf things that might not be relevant for them. One thing that strikes me is different contexts, different environments. Do you see your identity as a coach developer changing across those or the values that you work towards? Do they flow across those different environments? Do you sense yourself changing at all? I try and be the same, but sometimes I understand there's a difference of the person in front of you than the person with you. So what I mean there is sometimes I might have to lead the formal learning, so there are a few more rules that go with that, but... If they know me anyway, it's okay. But if they've never met me before, and maybe that's the first time I've met them, I have to just make sure that you have the in-front-of-you persona because other people are there for a part of their journey. But I just make sure I'm building those informal bits as well. Find out about the person. How did you know about this? Oh, you work with Jarell. Oh, I've known Jarell. And it just breaks those bits in. And any formal delivery I have to do, I make sure I've got at least two or three informal break periods, down periods where I can do that. And I'll, and I'll try and make sure I talk with people who I don't know because that would be the touch point of someone who could be even linking into our next programme through street games, whether it be a coachmates programme or, or a formal learning and one thing we explore in terms of working in coach developer world is what is the impact of coach developer, coach development work? What would you describe as, as the impact of your work? Well, if I was to be asked to tell you what the impact was, I would probably say in the street games world, more coaches who can coach what's in front of them rather than coach in a way that might have been taught through a system of being able to differentiate, being able to adapt, being being able to make people feel valued, being able to build confidence. And in the world of the Street Games project, that's a massive, because, you know, a a benchmark to probably age your question would be, how many better British citizens have you made, rather than how many elite athletes have you made? Because the citizen stuff's 100%. And if that's your benchmarks of people respect, say thank you, come back and you have a good retention pattern, that's success for us there. Whereas in another world, so in my football world, there is an element of player progression, but most of the clubs I work with are just for fun, friends and a nice experience. So it's just knowing who you're speaking to and what to be able to measure the benchmark 
the British citizen thing has stuck with me for years because every kid can become that British citizen, but can we get better ones who say thank you, who remember you when they're an adult and really enjoy the experiences that you provided for them? And I think if that's the bare minimum that every country I ever come across gives, I think we're doing well. And it's aligning coaches to what coaching is. Sometimes you'll win, but are you coaching for now or the next 10 years? What are you looking at? And I can only find that out through their purpose, really. I would add to that just in terms of moving coaching from it being very functional to actually becoming great coaching which is enhancing the experience of individuals and putting those people, the people that you're working with, your performers, your children, your participants that are maybe just trying something for the first time at the centre of everything you do, yeah. you know, and their experience is, is crucial. I wonder, just changing tack ever so slightly about you and how you've developed as a coach developer, where do you find your sources of inspiration or personal development so you know you're, you're clearly very passionate about the role and lots of the things that you've spoken about have come through experience and being immersed in supporting people and supporting coaches throughout the majority of your working life but how do you keep yourself fresh and updated and new and relevant well, what do you do so what do I do well I suppose to align what I do now, there's been people that's helped me to get where I am now. And if I look back and reflect, there was one guy who used to help me out called Mick Tui, and he was the, the football development officer of Sandwell, but also ran sport development projects. But it was through him I really learned about empathy, understanding that not everyone did it for sport. Some people are here because of the unknown stories of it's better than being at home or four or five brothers and sisters can come at the same time. So I've definitely learnt with him. And currently, I think he mix it, really. So I'll give you a good example. There's projects in West Bromwich, and they're called Centre Spot. And Centre Spot's whole philosophy is based around, if you want to help someone, they've got to meet you halfway. You've got to kick off at the Centre Spot. That's why they're called Centre Spot. And doing project visits regularly helps me remember the good qualities of developing coaches because I see good stuff and I see things that are missed opportunities. So I'd probably go to a project and do doorstep sports. So 14 to 25-year-olds in an area of deprivation, it could be for crime, health inequality, etc. I'd probably do that once a week. And that helps me to keep fresh in that side of the world. But also the learning from that helps me with the football side of the world. Because in the football side of the world, I have a whole plethora of friends as well. And my one friend, give the example, Martin, he, he's got a new role. He's technical director for Manchester City Ladies. But then he's asking me about, well, can you help my coaches with connection? Can you help my coaches with building rapport and helping volunteers? And I'm going, you're really asking me that? So I suppose the both worlds help me because then from other areas, I might get some more science stuff, so factual stuff, whether it be about, you know, in the FA World Four Corner model or developing someone or academically backed up stuff around ways people learn. Well that's the university's been helping me a lot. So I've got some I suppose some more grounded theory to help me as a practitioner with 
you know, how reliable stuff is. So in other words, if someone tells you that they're taking part for a reason, is that reliable or not? Maybe. Maybe there's a bias. Maybe it's because I'm asking them when I'm wearing a badge. I don't know. That helps me become a bit more of a good reflective practitioner. So picking mixes is your easy answer with a few analogies there for you as well. Fabulous. And I think that having that network of people and experiences and being able to get the balance right. Yeah, um, I will say as well, though, I did the online course, the Coaching of Mr. Coach, and I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed it because it wasn't what I expected. And because I could do it at my own pace, in my own time, I wanted to do more. So I'd do a module, and I'd go, I'd really love to do another module, but then, you know, life takes over. But I'd make sure that I did the next module whenever I had the next chance. And I wasn't just pressing play and just ticking the box. I engrossed in it because there's not really been a platform of how people like me or others who might do what I do can get learning that's centralised rather than going to a course that might be in London or somewhere in Norwich. That was accessible. And I suppose that gave me some reinvigoration of what I do, some more tools, some more ideas. And I really enjoyed the motor racing guy bit of it. I don't know if you've done the course yourself, but there's a bit about building relationships and there's a, a clip about a mountain racing guy who's really autocratic, really shouting. But these mixed approaches of learning, I really enjoyed that, so I'd recommend that to anyone who does what or wants to do the type of work that, that I do. Russ is referring to the Open University course, the Coaching Others to Coach Online Learning, free, available, and... Absolutely. I was I was involved in a little bit of the development of that. I'm enrolled and haven't gone through it yet. But as you say, the flexibility, run through it at your own time. Those were some of the things that I know Alex and the guys at OU were really keen to make sure that that was how it was being pitched, that it was accessible Absolutely. learning. I said to, the, to my colleagues, uh, so we had a street games workforce meeting two weeks ago. And I said, guys, look, I learned from this. I was a bit sceptical, and they were all going, well, you learned from it. Oh, oh, maybe we'll do it. And I was going, well, I think we all should do it. Because if you take away one or two things that helps you day-to-day front line, that's key. And even the accessibility of it doesn't put you up a barrier. And learning design, I think, to help coaches, we can take some learning from that for other areas as well. Because of the development of technologies is different than what it was 10 years ago. And that, that one worked. <laughs> that one didn't break down. And essentially, it was easy. And I always remember, I mentioned him before, Justin Price, he, uh, when, he, when he worked at Sport England as coach plan lead, the East framework. <laughs> and the East was, well, was it easy? Yeah, it was, actually. I was just enrolled. Was it accessible? Yeah, I just needed internet. Was it social? Well, there was a bit of a platform or a network on there, but now I can see the social elements of it because I'm working with others. Was it timely? Yeah, because I could do it in my own time to suit me. So there's some logic in the East framework around that course, and I recommend it to anyone who supports coaches. Great, great stuff, Ross. Just to finish off with, what makes you smile in your role on a day-to-day basis? Okay, what makes me smile? The project I help probably the most because geographically it's by me in the street games role for Benson community. And 
no one gets paid, everyone's a volunteer, and they get massive numbers engaged. We, we predominantly have remit of prevention from crime. What makes me smile is when I go there and I see some of those young people who were referred by the police who were never coached. That, to me, is gold dust. Because I think, you know what? I've helped that a little bit. And that's helping other young people not go on a negative pathway. But that's still coaching. And that, for me, I think, is if you could capture it up together, making that difference might not be now, but the intervention through coaching will pay off in years to come. And seeing that difference day to day is key. And even, you know, sometimes I go to West Brom and I see some folks in Tesco and they go, Russ, and I go, oh yeah, yeah, you're 10 years older. <laughs> but they remember the things that we used to do back in those programmes at George Saltow, West Bromwich, but through coaching, and their kids are involved in coaching now. And I think that's a really day-to-day thing that ticks my boxes. Excellent. I think a really nice point to end on there. Really appreciate you spending some time to chat today, Russ. Thank you very much. No problems, Andy. Thanks for your time as well. You've been listening to episode four of the Coach Developer Conversations podcast. To check out the other episodes and for more ideas and resources to help you deliver great coaching, go to the ukcoaching.org forward slash resources webpage. Thank you for listening. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.